listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Amen. God, turn it around right now. Lord, whatever way you've come into this place, we pray that God will turn it around. You know, after we talked about pits, anyone that has come in this place today or watching online and you feel that you're in that season where you're in a pit, and I'll explain a bit more in a moment, we just pray right now that God, almighty God, you will turn that thing around because we have an amazing God. We have a powerful God. We have a God that loves us. We have a God that knows us so well. And we have a God that can turn around even impossible situations. Amen? Amen. Why don't you wave to someone as you take your seats and tell them how good looking they are today? They're only good looking on a Sunday because it's the Lord's Day. And we are so glad that you are here. It wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. So we've been taking this journey as a church talking about faith. And I don't know what you think faith is. Maybe you sort of, um, your faith is is something about wanting something you haven't got, believing God and trusting God. But faith is a journey. It's a gift from God. But it's also a journey that God works through us and in us. And sometimes he takes us through situations and circumstances that we don't want to be in or we don't want to go. Because he wants to take us and train us to a deeper level of trust in him. A deeper level of knowing that he'll come through. A deeper level of faith. So I want to talk to you today about a guy named Joseph. And actually there's a lot of Bible dedicated to this man. If you've got your Bibles, you don't have to read it all now. Because if you go through the book of Genesis, it spans, the story of Joseph spans from chapter 37 right through to 50. So there's loads of stuff to read about him. So when you go home this evening, maybe that will be your reading for the week. I'm just going to give a little glimpse of it. In Genesis 37, chapters 2 and 4, it says this. Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things, not the good things, the bad things that his brothers were doing and getting up to. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other kids that he had because he had him when he was an older guy. I don't know about that. Maybe his mom was his favorite wife. Uh, We won't go there today. (laughs) But one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph. This is like having something commissioned. It's something out of the ordinary. It's something so very, very special that he commissioned something to be made just for Joseph, to show Joseph how important he is, how loved he is, how how great he is, how valued and treasured. And so Jacob has a beautiful uh, robe made for his son Joseph. And I guess that he puts it on him and he's so pleased and Joseph's so pleased and Joseph is parading about in this amazing colored coat that his father has gifted to him. But the Bible says, but, how many people know that a but isn't always a good thing? But 
his brothers didn't love him more, didn't respect him more. In fact, it tells us that his brothers hated That's a harsh word, isn't it? His brothers hated Joseph because of their father had given him so much more and because their father loved Joseph more than he loved them. Don't put your hands up or acknowledge this, but have you ever grown up in a family where you're not loved and everyone else is? Nah, nah. Or maybe you've been in a situation or relationships and you're not the favored one, but you can see that someone else is. And that that sometimes gets to us in our humanity. We feel a bit left out, put out, put down. And if we're not careful, we can turn into bitterness towards that person that is the object of everyone's affection. But Joseph right now is a 17-year-old teenager, probably spotty and gaunt, but he's very pampered, he's very loved, and he's the favorite son, and he knows it because he is safe. And he is secure and he hasn't known anything else but being the favorite son of the family. He's he's a bit selfish in that and he's spoiled rotten. Not really a good place to be. You know, sometimes we can be in that place but really not know it and not recognize ourselves. And I don't think that Joseph realized what he looked like in those days. And they hated him even more because he had these things called dreams. (laughs) Not only did he have dreams, but he then would talk about it and boast about them. And one dream went like this on one particular day. Hey, family, I had a dream last night. This is Joseph talking. And I dreamt about all these sheaves of corn. In fact, there were 11 of them. And they all bowed down to my sheave of corn. Oh, and I had another dream, but this time it was 11 stars. And guess what? All these 11 stars bowed down low before me. I bet that went down really well. But this was a dream from God. So what do you do when you believe that God has given you something like a dream like this or a a vision or a destiny or something deep within your soul and you want to shout about it. You want to boast about it. But, but this young man was immature. He was insensitive. And he was oblivious to the reaction that he was causing amongst his family. You see, when God gives you something like that, something so precious, you've got to be a bit like Mary, the mother of Jesus, when God spoke to her. And she treasured it within her heart. She didn't spill the beans or or put it on the news or put it on Twitter. She held it. And there is stuff going on in our lives between us and God that sometimes ain't for now. It's for you to hold, to hold for a season, to let him make the first steps for it to happen and come into being. Because there's people around your life that ain't ready for what is inside of you. In fact, I've got to tell you that just like Joseph, there's stuff inside of you that God's put there, but you're not ready for it yet. And that's why God takes us on a journey of faith, of growing, of knowing, and developing so that we can come to a place where we can rightly use the thing that he's given us. So, what do they do? His dad says, 
Okay, Joseph, go out and check out your brothers. Check up on them. See what them and that sheep, their sheep are doing and report back to me. And of course, we've just read that every time Joseph was sent on an errand like this, he would come back with a bad report and tell all the bad stuff about his brothers. So he's going off like detective and he's going to spy on the brothers and see what they're up to. And off he goes. And then he finds them in the distance. His brothers can see him coming. Uh-oh, here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him. <laughs> That's a bit severe. <laughs> let's kill him and throw him into a pit. There's that word pit. In fact, there's a pit around here. Let's throw him to one of these old cisterns that are dry and let's tell dad that a, a wild animal ate him up. Yeah, that's a great idea. And then we'll see what happens to all his dreams. Oh my goodness. They had come to such a place in their lives, the jealousy, uh, the, the, the unjustness of it, the unfairness of it, the being left out so many times that they couldn't contain it any longer, but they had to kill him. And yes, they didn't have any intention of saving him. The brothers wanted to kill Joseph. And so... Joseph swans up with the packed lunches and he pulls out all, you know, the McDonald's and the pizzas and the Cokes and the drinks and places it down and starts to create a little picnic for them. And he is truly expecting his brothers to say, yay, well done, thank you, so glad that you came. But instead, he gets the shock of his life as they violently take hold of this fragile, delicate, sensitive young boy and they wrestle with him, they rip his coat off and they manhandle him and they hurt him. This isn't just like a little gentle shove into a pit, but they hurt him. They are violent, they are angry and all the years of pent-up frustration comes out in these blows towards their brother as they throw him into a pit and cast off his coat. The pit is a cistern it's meant to hold water, but it is very dry and arid. So even as he's thrown into it, he is going to get injured. I can imagine him sat there, dazed and bewildered and thinking, what just happened? Nothing has ever happened to him in his life like this. He has been so protected. He has been so looked after. He has been so well, 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 well protected in that nothing, nothing, no danger could come near this boy. And now from the hands of his own brothers, his own family. In fact, it tells us in the Bible that Joseph pleads for his life. He is afraid. After all, he is a soft and pampered young boy and he's had so much privilege and he's had really a degree of power over his brothers and, and, and he's come from a, a rich place of lots of comfort. And now, in the fear of this pit, the fear of his life, the fear of the future, for the first time in his life, he finds himself in a place of danger. He finds himself in a place where everything has been stripped away. And while he's in this pit, while he's licking his wounds, while he is so shaken with the fear, his brothers are eating the picnic. <laughs> you know, oblivious to the pain that they've just caused. I wonder how many times in our lives that sometimes we are oblivious to the pain we cause to people. Maybe it's just a, a sharp word or 
not a nice look. Maybe it's something worse than that. And then we just pick up our pieces and carry on our days if nothing's happened. And the brothers did this. They just continued to eat and drink and chat while at a distance their younger brother was a shaking, quivering, fearful mess. His life about to be pulled from underneath him. His life about to be changed forever. You know, what do we do when life just falls apart? Stuff happens, doesn't it? You know, you can be going along and enjoying stuff and life's all hunky-dory, everything's going great, and all of a sudden, bam, something happens so suddenly that it shocks us to the core. Dreams are ended, relationships become broken, our health deteriorates, our jobs are suddenly gone, the money's gone, the finances is gone, and the fear comes, and, and then we're saying, but, but God, where are you in this? Uh, didn't you give me a vision? Didn't you call me to do this? Didn't you make this happen? Didn't you give me this? Didn't you bless me, this relationship? But now where are you, Lord? I'm in a pit, and I'm alone, and I can't hear you, I can't feel you, and I'm frightened, and I feel unsafe. And I've lost my security. You see, sometimes our security, we don't mean it to become this way, but sometimes our security has become the things that we have around us, our possessions. It might even be the people that we have in our lives, the people that we connect with and that we know. And, and maybe it could even be the job that we hold, the position that we have, the power that we have, the prestige that we are known. And yet, when it goes... And when it goes suddenly, we are on shaky ground and we start to reassess. Where is our safety? Where is our security? And we might have glibly said, yes, it's you, Lord. But sometimes when these things are stripped away, that is the real test when the rubber hits the road and he is in a pit and he is abandoned and he is betrayed from the people that loved him or should have loved him. He has been hurt by the people that should have protected him, the people he looked up to, his big brothers. But what about my dream, Lord? What, what about my call, my destiny? What, what wasn't that from you? I think for the first time in Joseph's life, for the very first time in Joseph's life, when everything is stripped away, he begins with the first seeds of a personal faith. You see, a personal faith is just that. It's one-on-one, you and Jesus. No other crowd, no other props, nothing else. Just you and God. So God has allowed this to happen, maybe, I don't know, or otherwise God is going to make something good come out of this. But Joseph in this pit right now feels all alone and abandoned and betrayed and somehow becomes the first seeds of his personal faith with God. You see, up to this point, I think that he has lived on not his own personal faith, on his own standing with God, but he has inherited it from what his father has done, the way his father has known God. And now his dad is not there. Why do we fear when everything gets stripped away? Because there are the times when we are at our weakest, when God steps in and becomes the strongest in our life. When we're in a pit, we want to first have a pity party. Oh, woe is me. And there's this well-known story of this farmer that his donkey accidentally falls in a pit. And so the farmer thinks, well, 
it was getting old and it does cost me a lot to feed it, so it's in a pit, I might as well bury it. And so then the farmer starts busying himself and chucking the dirt into the pit, shovel after shovel after shovel, and it's sweating and it's hot, but he keeps on doing it, I might as well bury him, it saved me a job. And then each time, each time the farmer threw the dirt on top of the donkey's back, the donkey would shake the dirt off and stand on top of the dirt. And this happened time after time until eventually the donkey reached the level ground and walked off into safety. And I think when we're in pits, it's those times where God is actually going to chuck dirt on us and it feels like it's being chucked on us, but actually he's putting something under our feet and he's lifting us up bit by bit by bit. He will not leave us in a pit. And when people, when people metaphorically throw us into a pit, and they do sometimes, we've got to remember, we don't need position or power or people or possessions. We need one thing, and his name is Jesus. You know, people can chuck us in pits and throw us away and think we're done. But Jesus was always there. He has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. And he is the God of the pit. He is in the loneliest of places with us. Yeah. We might not feel it, but we just have to have that faith to know he is with us. Because God is a God, you know, he just can't help but getting involved in our lives. And whatever happens, whichever way life takes a turn, he can't help but get involved. And he will weave his way in and his plans in and his purpose into our lives, even in a pit. Ah, they're in a pit. I can use that to my glory. I can use that to their growth. Don't be afraid of a pit. I wonder, in this place today or even watching online, what is your pit right now? Is it pain? Is it trauma? Is it betrayal, like Joseph? Whatever your trouble in your pit right now, it could be depression, it could be anything. There is a God who loves you, and he will lift down his hand, and he will pull you out of that pit in his good, perfect timing, because he says, all things work together for good for those who love God. Hmm. In fact, the pit that you're in right now, it could actually be the start of your promotion. It could be the start of a new journey, a new purpose, a new strength, a new season. It could be the start of something new coming your way. Perhaps you've been going your way too long. You've been in that place too long. Maybe there's something new and God needed you to come through a pit season to realize that wasn't working or that is finished. Now it's time for a new season and be like that donkey and shake that dirt off and get up and go again and step into the plans of God. Joseph was in pain. They bruised his feet as they held them in chains and placed a neck in an iron collar because he was sold as a slave. But when I read this scripture, there's something else I missed. In fact, it says in, in Psalm 105, it says, he, which is God, sent Joseph to Egypt ahead of them to be sold as a slave. In fact, God was on the throne. God was involved in this because then he says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. 
And James tells me this, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Ready for the assignment, ready for that dream that is in your heart. You know, faith is a journey, but it's a journey that is one-on-one with God, you and God. He has got amazing stuff planned for you. And maybe you have a dream like Joseph had, and there's a time and a season to hold that dream, and there's a time and a season for allow God to prepare you to carry through with that dream. He needed to grow. In fact, Joseph and me and you, we all need to keep growing in God because if we don't grow, we can't carry the call that God has put on our lives. You see, our character will fail. We need to allow God to take us through a journey of faith that tests us, that produces something in us, that changes our character to be more like Jesus. And then when our character is that place where God can then rest his call upon it, then it will not fall, but it will, it will accomplish what God has sent it to accomplish and glory his name. Pits develop faith. So the next place he goes to is the Potiphar's, and I've called them the pots for short because pots always reminds me of washing up and hard work. And this was a season of washing up and hard work for Joseph. He'd never done work like this before. He was the pampered child. He had servants to attend for every need. And, and here he finds himself that he has been sold by the Ishmael, into the Ishmaelites as a slave into Potiphar's house. Joseph's greatest trauma his greatest confusion, his greatest trial, wasn't that he got betrayed by his brothers who should have loved him. It wasn't that he was so fearful of the future. It wasn't even that he found himself now as a slave. Joseph's greatest trauma was, God, I can't hear you. This doesn't match with the dream. You know, you gave me those dreams and everyone was bowing down to me. Now I'm bowing down because now I'm the slave. Now I'm the servant. It's, it's completely the opposite of what you showed me, of what you told me. God, I can't hear you. Have you ever questioned yourself when you truly believed one time what God had asked you to do and yet now you find yourself in a season and it looks completely the opposite? <sighs> I can just feel for Joseph. His trauma that not only was he cut off from his family and his people and his country, but now he was cut off from God. (laughs) I don't want to do this. You didn't call me to be the slave. You didn't call me to be the servant. You didn't call me to bow down. It's not what I saw. It's not what I got excited about. It wasn't the call of God on my life. And I remember Peter saying to Jesus, no, Lord, you ain't washing my dirty feet. You ain't getting that close to me. And Jesus saying to Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, Peter, you can't have any part of me. There are times in our lives where we think we shouldn't do something because we don't think that God wants us to do that. Because it's uncomfortable, 
Maybe it's dirty, maybe it's messy, maybe it's unseen. Maybe it's acting like a servant. Maybe it's acting like a slave. Maybe it's helping other people to fill, fill their dreams and, and do their work and do their stuff. Here he is, he's a servant in Potiphar's house and he's making Potiphar's house prosper. You see, when we, when we do the will of God, when we're in, the, in, in, in a place where God anoints us and we're carrying that anointing even when we don't realize it, everyone around us gets blessed too. And Joseph could see Potiphar's family getting blessed because of his presence. And he was not blessed. He was the slave. This can't be right, God. The Son of Man did not come to be served. But he came to serve. And if Jesus was the servant of all, who am I to say I ain't going to serve? I ain't going to wash up after everyone. I'm the one that people should be bowing down to. I'm the one that people should be bringing me service to. But then if I choose that, I'm not doing what Jesus did. I'm not being like Jesus. And so this young man, now he's a bit more than 17, something drops in his spirit and he realizes that I might be a slave, but I'm still a son of God. And I am going to act the way that Jesus wants me to act. And he started to serve well. He was diligent. He was devoted and he was honest and he was faithful. And Colossians says this to us all. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And I can imagine Joseph telling himself this time and time again when he had to mop the floor or clean up the mess of all these people that were partying and, and, and using him, basically. I bet time and time again, he says, servant of all, servant of all. I've got, I'm doing this for you, Lord. Look, I'm doing this for you, Lord. There are many times that we do stuff and it's unseen and it's ugly and it's horrible and no one else wants to do that stuff. But we're not unseen because Jesus sees it all. And I think he puts it in his back pocket and he just makes the good account of all the stuff that we're doing because we're doing it for him. We're not doing it for anyone else. Although anyone else, they get blessed for what we do. But our heart is to serve Jesus. And if you're in a situation... Or a season in your life where you are serving people. Remember, in your serving people, you are doing it with a good heart. You're doing it with the best that you can because you are serving Jesus. And he serves. He becomes the organizer. He becomes the manager of Potiphar's house. He learns people skills. He learns Egyptian etiquette. And and he, he is teachable. He is trusted. And then he is tested. Oh, Mrs. Potiphar, she likes the look of this young man, Joseph. <laughs> and so she, she wants to get on with him. But he realizes, oh no, oh no, I am not going to sin against you, against God and against your husband. I am out of here. He does three things. And this is what we do when we are tempted into doing anything. So that he does three things. He resists. He resists the temptation. And then he refused. He said, oh, no, I'm not going there, no matter how beautiful she was. And then he removed himself. He ran for his life. And as he ran, we know the story, she grabbed his cloak. He ran naked. And then he got accused, wrongly accused, 
of assaulting Mrs. Potiphar. You know, there's some things in our lives when if we are weak in that area, we've got to do these three things. We've got to resist it, refuse it, and remove ourselves from it. If you've got a problem with alcohol, don't go to the pub. If you've got a problem with spending too much money, don't go to the shopping mall. Note taken. No, I haven't. I'm joking. I am joking. If you've got a problem with food and eating the wrong stuff, don't keep going to fast food restaurants. You have got to resist. You've got to refuse and you've got to remove yourself from those places. Because what it is, it's a surrendering faith. It's saying, not my will, but yours, Lord. Not what I want, but what you want, Lord. Not what pleases me, but what pleases you, Lord. I cannot sin against you, is what Joseph said to God. He surrendered. And all his actions in Potiphar's house, he was surrendering. He didn't want to clean up after everyone else. But he surrendered as if doing it unto the Lord. So the first step for Joseph was he had to have a personal faith. Not someone else's faith. Not inherited faith. He had to have his own personal walk with God. And then the second thing that he needed, he had to surrender Surrender his will. Surrender what he thought he should do and shouldn't do. A surrendering faith. But he did everything right. He did the right thing. He resisted temptation. He didn't sin. And yet he ends up wrongly accused and in prison. You know, there's a man on the news at the moment. I think his name is Andrew Malkinson. And he has been in prison for 17 years for a crime he did not commit. He's been released recently, and he was only put into prison for seven years for the crime that he was supposed to have done, but because he would not admit to it, he said, I could not falsely say I was guilty. And so every year they would extend his term until he did 10 years extra. People got out for murder quicker than he did, and then new DNA evidence came about, and they realized this man was innocent. And yet 17 years of his life, not only in a prison, but imagine what the neighbors would say. Imagine the loss to his life, his wife, his his job, his house, his security. And how can he build that back up? It's not a nice place to be when you are wrongly accused. I'm in this prison, Lord. This is just so unfair. I I did what was right. I I honored you, Lord. And I'm here. This is unjust. This is is not nice, God. Uh, This is painful. This This is undignified. In fact, this is unbearable. The pit was bad enough. Serving the Potiphar's was worse. But prison? You've ruined my reputation, Lord. And I, I, was, I was doing the best. I was, I was being good. I might as well have sinned. And I could have enjoyed it. But now I'm paying the price for something I didn't do. I wonder if Jesus thought, yep, yeah, I know that feeling. You see, Jesus paid the price for something he didn't do. And we don't get that. And for Joseph, at this time in his life, because of the call upon his life, God needed to share some of the trials and tribulations that God himself had gone through. And it would 
it would be like an igniting and a, a bringing together as Joseph would start to understand the true nature and the true love of God and what God was willing to do for each and every one of us. <laughs> so he finds himself in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. You can be in a prison right now. I don't know whether it's a real prison or whether your prison is something that has confined you and hemmed you in and you just feel so trapped. Whatever it is, God is with you, even in the prison. And even in the prison, God will work through your life. You see, sometimes when we step into surrendering faith, God gives us a grace for the season that we find ourselves in, even if it is uncomfortable and confining. You see, Joseph walked around that prison, and as he walked around that prison, he was not a prisoner. He was son of God, remember. He was, he was, he was a child of God. And he carried the anointing of Jesus. He carried God's purpose within him. Now, I'm talking so you understand what it is like for us today, that wherever we go, wherever we find ourselves, if we are a child of God, if we are a born-again believer, we are carrying the presence and the anointing of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all around us and within us, and it flows out, and it touches other people's lives, and it blesses those around us, and even in the prison. This is what it says. The Lord made Joseph a favorite in the prison with the warden, and before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything that he did to succeed. And even in a prison, instead of him putting his eyes down and feeling sorry for himself, he started to realize God could have a plan here. And he looked up. And even though he was suffering himself, he noticed other people. He saw the cupbearer and the baker. They, they'd been in the palace uh, employment, and now they were in prison, and he saw that their faces were downcast. He saw there was something troubling them, and he was concerned, and he goes towards them, and he says, hey, guys, what's the matter? And he says, they say, oh, we, we've, had, we've had dreams. We've, been, we, we've had dreams, and we don't know what it means. And so then Joseph, anointed by God, with his gifting that God had given him, was resurrecting, was reminding him of his call, and he started to interpretate the dreams. And unfortunately for the baker, it wasn't such a good outcome. But the cupbearer got restored back into the palace. Joseph thought, oh, there's a glimmer of hope. I've made the right connection. These people rub shoulders with Pharaoh, nonetheless, and they can tell him all about me, and they can get me out of this place. In fact, Joseph says to the cupbearer as he leaves the prison, he says, remember me, Joseph. I, I told you your dream. I got you, I got you out here. It, it came true, and I'm innocent. Please tell Pharaoh, and perhaps he'll get me out of this place. Then it goes quiet. Life goes on in the prison. God has forgotten him. Two long years 
He keeps going through the motions. He keeps trying to be faithful. He keeps trying to check his heart. How long, Lord? How long? You see, God is stretching him and testing him, taking him right to the very limits. And God won't take him further than he can bear. But he doesn't know that. He doesn't feel that because he's been forgotten. But even in the prison, he learned to wait. He had no choice, actually. And there are times where God puts us into a situation where it's, it's, it's no fault of our own, maybe, but we have no choice but to wait, 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 because God ain't opening the doors yet, and we've got no other thing to do but pace back and forward and wait and wait. What do we do when we're waiting on God to open up doors for us? Well, we worship, we serve, we seek him, we pray to him, we, we invest in our relationship with him. But in the waiting, we grow in faith. Every day, every day, it might not feel like it at times, but God's got to come through. We've got nowhere else to go. Joseph had nothing else to trust in other than God. No other hope but God. And so this developed his waiting faith. And then, 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 suddenly, oh, doesn't God take such a long time to do something suddenly? Or is it just for me? (laughs) Two full years later, Pharaoh can't sleep because he's dreaming of fat cows and skinny cows and fat corn and skinny corn. And he's all puzzled by it and he's, he's anxious by it and he's sacking people, killing people. And then the penny drops with the cup bearer. Oh, yeah. Pharaoh, there was a dreamer in the prison. Get him, get him now, get him quickly. And so they quickly um, get him ready. They change his clothes, they clean up, he has a shave. And then all of a sudden, he's no longer in the prison. He's no longer a prisoner, but he's standing in the palace courts right in front of Pharaoh. And now all his training kicks in. All his season in the pit of knowing that God has got him, that God's got his back. And he's not alone and he's not fearful of standing in front of the most powerful man in the UK, in the universe. And so he's not scared because he's been tested and and he's gone through the pit. He's okay there. And also he's gone through the pots of serving and and all that stuff and, and bowing down but when he was there he also learned what it was about Egyptian etiquette he learned how to manage estates he learned how to do admin he learned how to do administration he learned so much stuff and in the prison he kept it all in order he'd come to a place where he was fully ready fully prepared and fully trained and he stands before Pharaoh and he credits God to give him the answer to the dream. Yep, seven fat cows going to eat up seven skinny cows. And seven fat sheaves of corn are going to eat up seven skinny shorns or the other way around. And so this is what it means, Pharaoh. You can have seven years of plenty, of feasting, and seven years of nothing and famine. What I recommend that you do is uh, design an economic strategy, an agricultural strategy, and find yourself an intelligent, wise person to be in charge of everything over Egypt. I love this answer. In Genesis, it says this. The Pharaoh says, (laughs) can we find anyone else like this man, Joseph? So obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Pagan Pharaoh saying this. 
God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, Joseph, and clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You're it, tag. (laughs) Suddenly, this Hebrew, unknown, unseen, unheard, prisoner, slave, is now prime minister of Egypt. Egypt at that time was the strongest, most powerful nation in all the world. There was only one man above him, and that was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh took the attitude that the prison wardens did, was here's the keys, do everything, you're in charge. I'm out of here. And put his feet up. How does that happen? Huh. How does that happen? But what he also does, he gets it. He now understands it. He understands why he had the dreams. He understands why he had all the delays and all the disappointments and all the desperation. He understands why he got betrayed. He understands why he went through the pain. He understands why he went through a pit of separation when he went through the pot's house and it was accusation and he went through the the prison and it was just confusion. You see, sometimes our setbacks are setups. Setbacks are God's setups that he maneuvers us and puts us in the right place at the right time and we don't see the big picture because we ain't God. But it's got to be a test in faith. It's got to be a surrendering faith. It's got to be a waiting faith. It's got to be a personal faith. And now he stands there as prime minister, yeah, I can do this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is prepared. He's ready for the assignment. Oh, and get this. Pharaoh takes his own signet ring off his finger and puts it on Joseph's finger. And then, this is the thing, he gets a robe, a very special robe, and he clothes Joseph with this robe. Gives him a gold chain and everything else, but he gives him a robe. I wonder what went through his mind. So they go through seven years of plenty, gets married, and then his brothers come to visit. And what do they do? 20 years he's been waiting for the dream to come true, and his his brothers bow down to him. But this isn't the same Joseph. This isn't the Joseph that said, told you so, and lets them squirm. He says, that thing, that thing that you did to me, that thing that you did to me, that you intended to harm me, hmm, God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of Many people. I wonder if someone has harmed you today in any way. That thing that they did to you, that they intended to hurt you with. But God will turn it around and change that thing that was meant to harm you and he'll turn it around for something that will bring good to you. Because God is a God who turns it around. I wonder if the band want to come back and sing that song. You see, they took his coat. They stripped him. This is uh, Joanna, my friend. They took his coat 
But what he does, he forgives them. You want to take yours off? And when he meets with his brothers in Egypt, he gives them each a brand new coat. And he's saying, I forgive you. You you stripped me of my coat, but that's all gone now. I totally forgive you. And I give you a brand new coat. And then I think of this. This is what Joseph would say. The band, you can come back and play behind. Joanna, I need you still. Joanna, come back, come back. This is what Joseph might say to us today. My father, he gave me a beautiful robe of sonship. My brothers got jealous. They ripped it off me and threw me in a pit and meant to harm me. Mr. Potiphar gave me a cloak, a robe of authority. But I refused to sin against him, against God, and against his wife. And Potiphar's wife ripped off the one coat that I was wearing and accused me with it, held it against me. For a while I wore the robe of an accused prisoner, guilty, condemned, confined, not free. I could have stayed there, holding on to the betrayal and the injustice and the abuse and the pain. I could have been holding on to everything that everyone had ever done to me through my pit seasons and my pot seasons and my prison seasons. But then I thought, God can turn it around. And God knelt down and said, forgive them, Joseph. And Joseph said, help me, God. I I find that so difficult with the pain that they've inflicted on me all this time. Help me to forgive them. And then maybe God showed him all the pain and all the insults and all the slander and all the betrayal and all the injustice that he had inflicted on other people that he wasn't even aware of. A bit like us, really. If we were to examine our lives before God, there's so much stuff that we've done to other people, yet we want to hold on to the bad stuff that people have done to us. God, turn it around. Change my heart. (laughs) And then Jesus steps in and he goes further. I see it all. I see your heart. I see the stuff you do, the stuff you say. But you know something. I choose to forgive you completely. In fact, I'm going to lay aside my robe. This is mine. (laughs) I'm going to stand in for Jesus. I'm going to give you my robe. I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness and my authority. And I'm going to take yours. It might not fit me, but I'm going to take it. In fact, it doesn't fit Jesus. But he still takes our clothes, our robe, and he swaps it with his of righteousness. So that as Joseph took that robe of righteousness, as we take and receive that robe of righteousness. The robe that Jesus has laid aside and laid aside his majesty and he's reached down to the pit and he's pulled us out. And as we are clothed in his robe, 
we sense and feel the liquid love of Jesus. His presence fills us. His freedom and his anointing and his cleansing that we can stand. We can stand free. We can stand as a child of God, not because what we've done, but because of what he's done. He's now took our robes, our dirty, filthy rags of our lives and our deeds of what we've done. And he's given us his beautiful robe. You can go now. I'll take yours as well. (laughs) He lifts us up. He dusts us down. He cleans us and he clothes us in his robe of righteousness. And Isaiah says it better. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. God, turn it around. If you're in this place today and maybe you have, you have been betrayed, maybe you have been hurt, maybe what others meant to harm you and it is harming you, I want you to, as we sing this song, as we worship to God, I want you to give it to God because he can turn that around. He turns around that shame. He turns around that pain. And in place of it, he brings acceptance and cleansing and healing. Lord God, take me out of the pit that I find myself in. Lord, take me out of this prison that I'm confined in. Lord, I don't want to experience serving others all the time and being a slave or a servant. But Lord, I want to be your servant. I want to be your servant. God, turn me around. Lord, I've decided today that I want to just step into a newness with you. A new faith journey may be. Lord, I want you, why don't you just pray with me? Close your eyes and we'll pray together. Lord, I ask you to give me a fresh today to forgive me of everything I've done even stuff that I'm not aware of, to people I I, I may have hurt. Lord, forgive me afresh. I want to keep a short account with you. And today, Lord, I want this to be a new day, a start of a new journey of faith in you. So, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness right now. And as we ask for that, we have a faithful God. We have a loving God. And he answers our prayers, Lord, right now, will you turn it around? Turn it around. Turn my situation around. Turn me around. Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus.